So I would say the biggest trend we're starting to see when we talk to customers and the biggest trend that everyone needs to sort of use their crystal ball and in, in the next 18 to 36 months, get themselves on the right path to is this whole concept of how are you managing this new strategic asset called data? If you think about this as if you had any other asset, a physical asset or your financial asset, and they were managed in the same, in many cases, chaotic way that data is being managed today, it would never be acceptable for, uh, for a basic enterprise. Hi, and welcome to another Conversations with Des. I'm Des Blanchfield, your host. Now, today I have the honor and privilege of having Chris Powell on the air with us today in the studio. Now, Chris Powell is the Chief Marketing Officer for Commvault. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, Des. Thanks for having me. Now, we've got an amazing conversation ahead of us, some amazing highlights around uh, your personal life and an exciting journey that uh, you beat me to the uh, the chase with uh, you went to the South Pole, which we're going to cover off in a minute and why you went there. You then had the opportunity to do a TED talk, which I'd love to get into in a bit of detail. And then we got some exciting points around uh, acquisition of an organization recently by your company. And then the upcoming 2019 Commvault Go uh, event, which uh, I'm dying to talk about in more detail and I have the privilege and honor of coming to. Before we get into that, though, I wonder if maybe we can just get a little insight into you personally, a bit of background of where you're from, where you grew up, uh, any anecdotal uh, uh, moments in your uh, academic and career path you'd be able to share. Great. Uh, so I was uh, born in the States outside of Philadelphia, or in Philadelphia is where I was born. I grew up mostly outside of Philadelphia and one of uh, one of four kids. And the uh, the story I often tell is I was sort of the the person who was the least guided of my uh, siblings. My, I have a sister who's a nurse, another sister who's an accountant, and my brother's a Catholic priest. So everyone sort of knew what they were going to do in life except for me. And I, uh, I managed to just sort of skirt along and, uh, and, and follow things as they came at me. Uh, so I tend to have had a, a lot of success reacting thing to things. I'm always impressed with people who sort of have planned their life out, uh, and I uh, have tended to, uh, to manage to be... Uh, somewhat okay, just sort of stumbling from one thing to the next. Uh, so that's been a good experience for me. We've, uh, my family and I have, I have uh, three daughters. Uh, my wife Nancy and I live down in Argentina and just got back about five years ago. We we spent about two and a half years in Argentina when I was with SAP, uh, running the Latin American marketing organization. Uh, so it's been it's been a whirlwind. Uh, you know, I've been from. From the startup world, uh, where I was uh, sort of a jack of all trades with seven people in the startup, all the way through to a major uh, organization like SAP and the tens of thousands of employees, to now here at Commvault, uh, which is sort of the best of both worlds in terms of size and ability to really get close to the business and and uh, make an impact. Wow. Well, I loved reading some of your bio. You described as a, an adventure seeker, marketing expert, and perpetually seeking out <laughs> exciting opportunities, which we're about to talk about one of the most exciting. But it sounds to me like you were always an adventurer at heart, but a, a, an interesting uh, diverse background across uh, some of your siblings from uh, religion through to technology. That's, that's a bit of a challenge for uh, your parents, I can imagine, uh, juggling all of yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, it sure was. You know, I often say that I would say... Uh, I say that I'm a sort of an amateur adventurist, and my wife says I'm a professional idiot. Um, so it's uh, <laughs> it's sort of the you can choose which way you want to look at it. I think our wives have got the same punchline. So I'd love to dive into the role of, of chief marketing officer in Commvault and what a day in the life of Chris Powell's like. But before we do that, I hope you don't mind. I'd love to talk initially about your exciting journey you just had recently to the South Pole. Now, for folk who, who have probably done a bit of homework on you already uh, and uh, have been following the conversation on social media. 
You had this amazing journey down to the South Pole. Uh, you uh, went for a really fantastic reason just to bring awareness around um, what's happening with uh, the world in general. But you did it based with, um, uh, I believe it was solar power and regenerative uh, uh, energy, and particularly I think it was biofuel and wood chips. So maybe give us a little bit of background on kind of how that journey came about first, and then we can sort of talk about the, the, the whole reason and rationale for the journey and some of the key challenges you faced. So I had the great honor and pleasure to meet Robert Swan, uh, which is coming on, uh, I guess, about two years ago now, uh, when we were doing some work with him with our company. He was speaking at one of our events, and uh, as I was discussing some things with him and ways that we could potentially sponsor some of the work he was doing, uh, he brought up this expedition that he was doing to the South Pole. So the first expedition to rely solely on renewable energy. And as you point out, it's biofuel and solar power that they were going to rely on. And the premise was a pretty straightforward one, which is if we're able in the harshest environment on the planet to rely on nothing but renewable energy, imagine what you would be able to do uh, back here in our day-to-day lives. And that's the premise to sort of raise awareness of it. So Kambal got involved as the official data sponsor uh, as we were partnering with Robert on the expedition. Uh, and uh, and there was just so many interesting things that were happening uh, around this expedition that Robert and his team's involved in, testing some equipment with NASA in terms of the conditions and its ability to perform, and various things that we're able to sort of bring on this journey. So when he asked me if I would uh, be one of the folks that would join them for the last 10% of the expedition, uh, I leaped at the opportunity. It was uh, sort of a once-in-a-lifetime chance to get personally involved and I, I probably didn't realize at the time how much it was going to change me, um, but it definitely, uh, I thought it would be a great story uh, for sure, uh, but I didn't quite realize, I think, at the time how much it would sort of impact me. You did a lot of training for this, though. I mean, uh, for listeners who are thinking maybe it's a little bit insane trying this, I mean, you didn't just walk into it and essentially just get helicoptered into the last mile. You 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 did the hard slog uh, on the journey itself, but you did a heck of a lot of training from what I understand. What, what went into the training and prep for this whole adventure? So, you know, ultimately in the end, I think not enough, uh, but I managed to make it through. Uh, the uh, What Robert told all of us is that you need to be able to run 10 miles a day. So if you can run 10 miles on a sustained basis day after day, then you should be able to make it through. I did a lot of running, a lot of, uh, I would run through the neighborhood with this cra- crazy uh, sled. There's this metal sled, a 50 pound sled that I would drag behind me. Uh, through the woods and all these uh, places, none of my family would ever walk with me or or want to be seen as I was dragging the sled through the through the forest. Uh, but it was a great opportunity in terms of being able to uh, pull all of the uh, you know pull pull all the things together that I needed in order to be able to do the journey. And in between the prep, uh, physical uh, preparation, then also just uh, all of the things you need to do for equipment. It's all about the gear and being ready. Well, I guess it's one of those things where uh, someone once wrote that uh, going to the South Pole was uh, paramount to going to outer space, that you get to a point where uh, you realize that you're so far away from everything that no one can really get to you to help you. And I think there was a moment I read uh, in one of the articles uh, where you're quoted along the lines of saying by day two, you wondered if you were actually going to be able to make it. Uh, but based on what I've read in your background, uh, I think you describe yourself as a terrible athlete, quote-unquote, but you do plenty of biking and running and tackling triathlons. So I imagine you're regularly fit anyway, but there's a particular fitness, particularly mentally fitness, you've got to get ready for this. What was that little epiphany and moment like uh, two days in to sort of realise that you were, you were committed, this was, this was really happening? 
<laughs> it definitely is one of those situations where you realize the only way out is through a uh, emergency, you know, a plane coming in and evacuating you. So you, def you definitely don't want to be involved in that. And it was, you know, the the question came about actually through we were answering questions from school children from all around the world, uh, from uh, Australia to China to India to the United States, and they had submitted questions where a number of the folks that were on the expedition were sending the answers back. And one of the questions that, I'm not sure exactly why I found it so humorous, but one of the questions was, um, how do you keep on going each day? And when you look, if when you find yourself in this ice desert where there's nothing, uh, there's nothingness all around you, there really isn't any option except to keep going. Um, so you just keep moving forward. Uh, and I think mentally, uh, it's a it's an incredible opportunity and and space physically um you eventually start to realize i just don't know how i'm going to feel the next day and if my body's going to keep moving forward i mean i i'm crazy enough but uh every now and then uh, something breaks so luckily i uh, i made it through and you mentioned when we were talking off air that i think it was uh, you mentioned scott's expedition back in 1912 where effectively everyone perished there was a massive gap between that and essentially this particular expedition well, and, and it was so when Robert Swan uh, first walked to the South Pole, it was in 1986. Between 1912 and 1986, no one had uh, attempted to do what uh, what Scott's expedition ended up uh, all perishing on the on the walk back, actually, after reaching the South Pole. Uh, Robert did this then in 1986 with two others. And then uh, as he's been raising awareness for Antarctica and uh, the plight to save Antarctica, he Robert has a foundation called the 2041 Foundation, which is the year in the year 2041 is when the uh, treaty, the international treaty that protects Antarctica expires. Um, so he's become a, uh, a warrior uh, fighting for against climate change and trying to protect Antarctica. And this joining him was all part of that continued journey. It's it's frightening to think just how close that actually is, isn't it? I mean, 2019 now it's about to be 2020 next year in a matter of months, yeah. literally counting down to the days for some of us. So 2041, we're really talking uh, a couple of decades before that pristine part of the world uh, potentially is up for grabs for various things. And we've seen what humans have done to the rest of the planet. So that pristine world that uh, we're talking about is, is potentially at risk in a number of areas. I mean, in Australia, for example, when we're talking about climate change, I was watching a program called Landline here on the weekend. It's sort of like a, a farming community TV sort of station. And they were talking about how farmers are moving from various parts of central Australia and, and mid-Australia down to Tasmania, way down south, because the climate's becoming so temperate that they need to go and find cooler places, grow certain types of apples and so forth. And you think, that's in my lifetime. Uh, so I can only yeah. imagine what's happening down there. Now, I did ask a few people uh, before we got on air here uh, the sorts of things that they, they'd be interested in asking you. And one of the questions that came up regularly was, what's actually at the, the, the South Pole itself? What did you find there beyond the station itself? When you get down there and you finally realize you make it, uh, I imagine it would be kind of like climbing Everest. You look around and you, there's that split sec when you realize we're here, we made it. What, what sort of went through your mind in that, that last moment when you took that last step and looked and, and realized you made it? And, and what did you see there? So you're absolutely right. When you when you make it there, the you see a few things. The the one thing is the there's a there's the actual uh, true South Pole, and then there's a ceremonial pole because the ice is shifting on top of the uh, continent. 
So it shifts. I think they told us it shifts about 10 meters a year on average. So it moves around so that they'll have a, an official pole that's in one place. And then they have the ceremonial pole. The ceremonial pole that if you see it in pictures, it looks like something out of a Santa Claus book. It's, uh, it's this red and white um, sort of uh, painted spiral uh, with a silver ball on top. It, it's, uh, and then it's surrounded by all the flags of the countries that have scientific expeditions uh, that, are, that are permanently stationed uh, in Antarctica. So when you when you first arrive, it's almost a bit surreal because it's it's such a it's such a uh, almost cartoonish looking uh, pole that is the ceremonial uh, pole that you're getting your picture taken with. It's just an incredible feeling when you make it down there. You look around, you see the U.S. Uh, base station that's uh, that's down there as well. And then there's just a, a whole lot of nothingness. There's some incredible science happening down there at that station. It's some of the uh, the cleanest air on the planet, and and much of what they do down there is is quite amazing. The people you meet at that base station are remarkable individuals in terms of what they do when they overwinter uh, down there. Because you're there in the uh, in the dead of summer, and it's uh, it's negative thirty, negative thirty five uh, Celsius as you're down there. So it's um it's pretty crazy. There's a really great picture which I'll I'll grab and uh, tweet later on for listeners. To, there's a picture of you gazing into that uh, uh, mirrored sphere and reflecting off it, and I can imagine that uh, it's almost a um, perfect analogy for the moment of reflection that you would have had there. And also, just oh, think- I wish I was that deep. I'm not nearly that deep. <laughs> You're giving me too much credit. <laughs> oh, I think you are. I think you are. You're just too humble. Just imagine breathing in some of the purest air in the planet, just having that epiphany, looking into that reflection, realizing you're mating it. One of the things I'd love to highlight is is um, why you went as well. I mean, it was an astounding journey. I'm just so envious because, as I said earlier, it was on my bucket list of things to do. Still is the actual journey itself. I'd love to highlight just briefly that the, we talked about you know it being about uh, just awareness in general around uh, uh, fuels and, and use of energy and so forth. Maybe if we can just double back quickly and just highlight that the whole rationale behind the journey and, and, and what came out of that. And then I'd like to sort of move into getting a bit of insight into the TED Talk because I know you, you did a great TED Talk and shared that journey. But maybe just highlight some of the key reasons and rationales behind the journey itself and, and, and I guess you know what was achieved as a result of that. So the rationale really changed over time. Uh, we When we were initially doing it, it truly was – we. We were very uh, proud to be a part of this and, and part of history as, as Robert and, and his son Barney uh, and the other members of this expedition were, were driving this, this overall mission forward. What, what initially started as a data story with regard to you know the data at, uh, on an expedition like this, a lot of it, it tends to be the video and the uh, photography uh, that it's taken at, the, at this uh, during the expedition, but then it's also some other, uh, some of the technical equipment and things like that. Uh, the so protecting the data for a mission like this uh, was something that we were re- really proud to be a part of. What it eventually, though, started to evolve into is we realized that the it, it got back to this whole concept of the carbon footprint of data, and Commvault as a uh, overall enterprise, we have. We have over 20 exabytes of data that is um, that's managed with our software in our customers' sites. Uh, and if you look at the carbon footprint of data, the the 
data that's managed in certain ways um, on premises in many cases is still using fossil fuels in order to be able to manage those data centers. And as you move into the public cloud and you start to manage your data in a more responsible way, it can be part of an organization's overall mission in terms of their carbon footprint. So that was that's where this evolved into. That's a big piece of what uh, Commvault's mission as as it's come out of this. We're really proud. We it's not been announced yet, but we're really proud to have just signed on with. Uh, there's uh, the UN uh, General Assembly is here in New York next month, and actually this month in a couple of weeks, and we're one of what will be 17 companies that have signed on uh, to be a sponsor of one of the 17 global goals. Uh, as we're looking uh, to work with a number of like-minded companies, and there's, uh, it's a who's who of tech companies and, and some of the largest companies in the world that are looking at some of the toughest challenges and trying to determine ways to address them. So, um, so this is sort of, I don't want to say it's uh, sort of, I'm an accidental uh, person have fall, having fallen into these different things, but it was, it was an incredibly uh, great opportunity just to meet Robert and then to be able to sponsor the expedition and then where this moved into is looking at and, and the big aha moment for us was that the um, just in the last couple of years the carbon footprint of data centers around the world has exceeded the airline industries is the so that's sort of the big factoid that people don't realize and uh, and the footprint of data is only growing so we need to it's up to the tech industry to come up with the tech and just be smarter about how we're going to manage all of this data because we we recognize that data can be an incredible benefit to the world and society, uh, but we need to do it in a responsible way. It seems fortuitous that that is the focus point because, uh, and, and for folk who are listening, I know there's a heavy technical audience that I had the privilege of having, but uh, when we think about an exabyte, and you, you mentioned you have 20 exabytes, an exabyte is a thousand petabytes. And I remember a day when no one could even imagine, and, and we used to lose our breath thinking about what a petabyte would be like. You've got 20,000 petabytes. That's a non-trivial amount. But there's a great line that people talk about where data is the new oil. And it kind of reminds me of what you're just talking about there because if we think about data being the new oil, well, oil is a fossil fuel that we're consuming at outrageous amounts. So it seems rather fortuitous that this whole message is about renewable fuels and the linkage to, to data protection because uh, if uh, data is the new oil, then we better start making a renewable oil, I guess. Uh, <laughs> exactly. And yeah. for, for yeah, I love that, you were, that phrase. You were, um, I mean, I love the fact that it was, uh, you know, your, your primary focus obviously was uh, getting there and back, but protecting the data um, was also a perfect challenge for you other than just surviving. Um, now, before we get into the TED Talk, you had a flag from memory I remember seeing a picture of with a, a zillion signatures um, around the, uh, I understand that was signed by folk that sort of were part of the journey. Is that right? Uh, the the one you probably saw with a whole bunch of signatures was actually signed by uh, members uh, of the Commvault community, our employees all over the world. So they they sort of signed the uh, flag, and then I took it down and and was able to uh, pose with it with Robert and Barney and and everyone who was on the expedition. Um, and that was incredible. It's it's hanging now in our headquarters um, building. So it's a uh, it was it was one of the great uh, treats I got. Wow, I love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised you didn't pinch it and take it home. So TED Talk. Now we all. Oh, drink... I had more than one. Don't worry. All oh, right. <laughs> good to hear. Good to hear. A bit of redundancy in the data. I'm pleased to see. There you go. Um, 
we all dream of doing a TED Talk. There is, there are exciting things to watch, uh, and I, I am embarrassed to admit how many I consume on a regular basis. But I understand you were invited to participate in one. There was an interesting journey through that whole process. Uh, I'd love to sort of just get some insight into kind of what that journey was like, being invited to present at TED, and, and I guess what it took to get on stage and share that life story. What, what was that whole journey like? Because it seems to me that it's not quite as exciting as going to the South Pole, but it's another type of journey and a, and a life moment that uh, we all dream of. Uh, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I, so we're kindred spirits. I listen to more TED Talks than I would care to ever admit as well. And I just am completely addicted to them. Um, and uh, and it, and because of that, uh, when the opportunity came up, I just uh, I I grabbed that as quickly as I could. It was it was a little bit of, a, a, again, a good fortune of timing when I came back from the expedition. Uh, we we had a little bit of press that was happening around here and, and somebody uh, picked up some of the articles that were happening and, and reached out to me and asked if I would be uh, interested in applying to to join them uh, as one of the speakers. And the topic was passion. Uh, so that that's always an interesting thing in terms of they always have, have the themes for each one of the events. So this uh, this theme for this event was passion. Uh, so the first thing I had to do was figure out how I could uh, how I could figure out how a walk to the uh, South Pole uh, could be translated into passion. But I I managed to make it through that hurdle. And, you know, you would imagine it's uh, it starts with a couple of uh, people sort of asking you what your story is and then uh, determining whether or not you can get to where they wanted you to get to. And then uh, beyond that, it's uh, it's several months of getting your timing down. They they're very specific about how much time they want you to take. You know, I think ours was 10 to 11 minutes is what you're asked to do. So it's a lot to cover in 10 to 11 minutes, but that's one of the great challenges of it. Um, and then, uh, you know, working with some great people to help me craft a story, as I was telling you, uh, you know, off the air before we started it, it sort of started as a, even though I would say it out loud to people and they told me I was crazy, I wasn't sure what was really interesting exactly about the story. Um, so, uh, so I, I had to, uh, to sort of make sure that I could build that all up. I think you are by half uh, far too uh, 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 easy going on yourself. Your, your story is incredible and uh, far too humble. The 10 to 11 minutes must be uh, pretty breathtaking because I know you trained a lot for the trip down south. Uh, you would have been ridiculously fit when you got back. Uh, but 10 to 11 minutes is, is very much an information sprint. Uh, how, did you go about, how did you go about structuring it? What were sort of the key points you spoke about and covered? So, you know, as we were going through this, it really started with, as you can imagine, sort of um, why, you know, why, why would you possibly be crazy enough to find yourself on one of the harshest environments in, in the planet and, and, uh, and putting that within context. So it, it starts from that perspective. And then you go through what the learnings are uh, that you have from, from, and what your takeaways from an experience like this. And there's a number of takeaways that you have uh, that relate to, uh, to anything you can imagine, right? When you first start this, you think about what are the leadership things you can take from this and teamwork and, and those kinds of things. And that's for sure a big part of it. But the main takeaways that I found, and this is one of the things that challenged, uh, that, that Robert Swan challenges people when he meets them. And, uh, and the one piece that I just love the thought process of it is what are we going to do differently? And the the, that sounds basic, but then he sort of expands on that further of what are we going to do differently as individuals, 
what are we doing differently as citizens and what are we doing individually uh, with the companies we work for or with? Uh, and so that's the structure I ended up putting through this of what can I do differently as a as an individual? What can I do differently uh, in my community? And then what can I do differently with uh, the company that I work for? Uh, and that's the challenge that I sort of put forward. And I used the time in coming back to really look at what I could do differently as an individual. I had this, uh, I've become sort of this uh, single-use plastic warrior of trying to uh, raise awareness of, of not only the plight of, uh, or the blight of having so much single-use plastic, but how easy it is uh, to reduce our reliance on single-use plastic. Uh, and then I talked to uh, some of our local folks in the community and some of the things they're doing around clean water and, and a lot of the uh, environmental action uh, committees that are in local governments and uh, got involved with them a bit. And then the, uh, the third piece is working here at Commvault and what could we do differently in, uh, in, in how we conduct business and how we work with our customers. Well, you've got a couple of exciting things coming up that I'd also like to, to cover off. And, and I mean, I could spend the whole day talking to you about this challenge itself going to the South Pole, but uh, I know we're, we've got a limited amount of time. But um, thanks for those amazing insights, and I, I will live my entire life in envy of it. Uh, but also, uh, I think, you know, on behalf of all of our listeners, thanks for making the time to share it in a TED Talk that we can all enjoy, because I think, you know, when we watch these great adventures, uh, not enough people, in my mind at least, make the time to share that adventure. So it's not so much that they're selfish. I think they just run out of time or whatever the case may be. I love the fact that you've made the time to share that story uh, uh, and, and, and share those interesting personal insights because a lot of us do sit there some days just thinking, what am I doing in my life? Uh, you've kind of given us a lot of inspiration and insight into kind of why you did it and also, more importantly, as you just uh, alluded to there, you know, what we can do to be part of that journey because I think that's also part of the challenges we we can become very apathetic as humans and think, well, I can't change the world myself, so I'll just give up. But as you've just alluded to, we, we can make a significant difference individually, and it's a numbers game in so many ways. You've, you've got a couple of interesting things I'd like to touch on uh, uh, going forward, though. Uh, you've had an exciting acquisition of an organization called Hedvig, and uh, I'd love to dive into that. And then I'd like to wrap up with the Commvault Go 2019 event. Um, let's talk about Hedvig. So firstly, maybe just tell us uh, who Hedvig are and what they're up to, because I know there's a, a range of challenges around what Commvault already do as an organization, as a modus operandi around data protection, backing up data, all of the things that go with data and governance control and reporting and, and reliability. Yeah. Uh, but there's a big shift. You know, we've seen these massive shifts around digital transformation, digital disruption, adoption of cloud, multi-cloud, you know, with all kinds of different uh, private, hybrid, public. And I know there's this whole quote-unquote promise of multi-cloud environments doing great things. But inside, there you've got the whole shift to DevOps and containers and Kubernetes and, and Dockerized environments and containerized environments and microservices running on the, all kinds of different uh, worlds where data just becomes messy and hard to track and hard to back up and hard to tr uh, sort of, you know, version control. It seems to me this is a very natural evolution to acquire Hedvig, but um, what's the background on how that came about? And, and tell us a little bit about what Hedvig does as an organization. So the um, you're right. The Hedvig acquisition has just been an incredible journey for us, and the announcement that happened just last week um, has been an exciting time. the 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 background be Hedvig has been a partner for a little bit of time. Um, we have been talking with them, and our new CEO uh, uh, Sanjay Merchandani came on board about seven months ago. And they had a little bit of a common connection. We had already started talking with Hedvig, but there was a, a board member 
that uh, that was sort of commonly shared between some of the work that was happening and made a bit of a more formal introduction and and uh, and things started transpiring from there. The the Hedvig is just in this incredible company in terms of the technology and the the amount of uh, engineers and and tech uh, really just uh, royalty almost that comes with it is is great. Uh, it was started by a, a guy by the name of Avinash Lakshman, and Avinash has uh, a great amount of street cred with regard to he he was uh, part of the team that wrote Cassandra. Uh, when uh, he was at Facebook, and uh, and we know how many technologies are relying on that now in, in the open source, and then he was uh, also before that he was part of Amazon and wrote Dynamo, um, which is uh, the tech that's behind the Amazon um, uh, shopping cart. Uh, so uh, a lot of greatness behind that in terms of uh, things he's been able to do in the past. What he's done with this solution uh, in what Hedvig offers in software-defined software, software defined storage space is really bringing the promise of the cloud and all of the flexibility and the, the things that it can bring to an organization um, to the masses is the way that he likes to look at this. So companies of all sizes uh, from very large organizations that he works with today all the way through to a much smaller mid-size to, to lower large enterprise organizations. I imagine um, I imagine a lot of companies you're working with are breathing a sigh of relief now that you finally got a solution that this has been solving a problem for them. I mean, you've been solving data management problems for, for so long, it's not funny, but this particular point into the stick has been a real bugbear for a lot of us, that, that there's so much data creeping out of the spaces that we've, in many ways, felt like we've lost control of. Now, with this acquisition, you've, you've not only uh, added to the amazing uh, capability you've had for a long time, but this is sort of the very pointy end of the stick, almost out to the edge of the network, as we say, edge-to-edge -edge computing and storage. Um, th there must be an amazing response to this with people just reaching out uh, saying, finally, we can now yeah. solve that problem as well. That, that must be in a bit of a, a eureka moment for the organization, both inside Commvault, but also within your community industry and the clients as a whole. It has been, and you, you, sir, you said the perfect word uh, there, Des, which is control. And when we looked at this and the way that we've described it to people, and I actually had an employee meeting earlier today where I was taking them through some of the logic of this. And the when we talk to customers, what they're what they're sort of struggling with, or I should say, what they have to manage. If you're if you're responsible for data within your organization, you're trying to. We used to look at this almost as a three-headed scale which is the first piece of it is how do you protect the data, make sure it's available when you need it, that it's secure. The second sort of uh, arm to the scale is around uh, the management of the data. Are you applying your policies against it, the regulations, all the GDPR and things that you mentioned? And then the third piece is are you using it, are you serving it up and getting value from it? And what Hedvig does is it brings sort of a fourth arm to this scale. It's getting to be too many arms, but I think I can still use it for now. Um, but a fourth arm to this scale that is, are you controlling where that data resides? So uh, the the control layer for where the storage is, um, where all of this data is residing, is incredibly important uh, from the standpoint of now not only managing the data, but managing the storage. So. We look at this and say that this is an incredible set of technology that now allows us for both storage and data management. 
Well, we've had, you know, we've had databases, we've had master data management approaches, we've had all kinds of efforts to, to get our arms around data. But I think it all leads us back to those key things you've just spoken about, which is firstly, just manage the data. Where is it? Who's using it? Who's got access? What sort of treatments are being applied to it? And then, as you said, you're underpinned by this whole compliance and governance challenge, both within your own organisational policies, your partners, your clients, etc. But as then, you know, state and federal level and now global and GDPR has been this this Y2K of data in my mind, and that is that we knew it was sort of coming. We didn't necessarily plan for it as well as we should have. We thought a lot of people were going to protect us. I know that Commvault certainly provided that safety net for a lot of organizations around the treatment of the data. But then you get to that other end where it's, well, we've got our data, it's protected, it's managed, but but can we use it? You know, I think a lot of companies sort of yeah. started setting out to build these data lakes, but they came data swamps full of crocodiles and alligators or whatever. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and then you end up in that scenario where it's like, well, we've got it, it's backed up, it's managed, it's monitored, but who can get to it? Where can we extract value? And I guess that then goes back to that whole point of, you know, data is a new gold in many ways. Um, so it's all well and good to protect it and back it up and manage it and monitor it, but then how do you use that? And I think this acquisition gives you that icing on the cake in my mind, and that is that not only can you wrap your arms around this never-ending uh, messy fractal style edge of the network and, and all the spaces between, but that now you seem to have gotten a tool set that can... Uh, can, can you know, categorize it, manage it, monitor it, and present it and make it available in use and help it easy to provide treatment to that data, which really, I guess, is a full cycle, isn't it? So that closing the loop of we can manage it, we can back it up, we can monitor it, we can also make it available. Yeah, and that's the that, – I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> um, the uh, journey of acquisition, though, what, I mean, give us a little insight into that whole process. I mean, we've heard about how it sort of came about. What, what sort of comes next? Uh, what, are the, what are the things that we're, we're, we're potentially seeing come over the horizon as far as acquisition? It's a formally announced in the market, and, and I guess there's that challenge of normal uh, merger and acquisition process to bring them into the family and, and the fold. Right, uh, right. What, can we, what sort of uh, things can you share around sort of what are the next steps for you as far as uh, integrating into the, the Commvault brand and then also, I guess, you know, how much flexibility and freedom they retain as far as themselves and, and what they offer to the market? That's the exciting piece of the work, isn't it? You know, the you know bringing in the first acquisition of this type, and you know, as we're innovating in different ways, we have not only Hedvig that we're bringing in from the outside, but then there's a new backup as a service uh, offering that we're going to be announcing at Commvault Go as well uh, in uh, just five short weeks. So, uh, as Sanjay has come in as the new CEO, he's definitely seen this as um, what is the total portfolio of offering around. Uh, the storage and data management area, uh, and we're expanding that offering. So when I look at this from a branding standpoint and the integration of that, there's a lot of work that we'll be doing over the coming weeks in order to ensure that it's clear for everyone sort of what is that new Commvault, uh, what do we offer, and, and how does the new Commvault brand come to life? There's been a lot of work that we've done just in the last couple of weeks, we've relaunched our website. We have a new brand identity that we've put in place with a new visual identity and tone of voice and, and a story that we're telling. So there's a lot of change all at once. The integration of a company like Hedvig is uh, is something that, while it's a first for Commvault, a lot of folks that are on the management team have gone through a number of integrations. And we'll go through the normal uh, aspects of making sure we bring them in. Uh, luckily, this is this is very much a technology acquisition. So a lot of the integrations that you would normally uh, think about, which is how are you integrating a sales team? How are you integrating 
you know, all of your operational aspects, the finance group, the HR group, the marketing groups, there's some of that to be done. Um, but it's not, it's not a large amount of that. A lot of this will be the technology integration. And luckily that'll occur over the period of, of months and quarters in order to do that in a, in a, in a very uh, sort of structured way. I didn't. I did love the uh, comment there with regard to the redesign of the website. I remember hitting it the other day, doing some homework and thinking, "Oh, I've gone to the wrong place." And then I realised, "Oh no, t- top left-hand corner is the right logo," uh, and uh, it, it looks very nice on a phone as well, which is a nice change because I think there's so much information that you've got to convey. It's often hard to to get that just right on both a mobile and and flexible uh, platforms on tablet whatnot. Uh, I do invite people to jump on the, the Commvault.com website because right now there's a great video uh, about the Hedvig uh, acquisition and I think it's the CEO of Hedvig uh, having a great conversation about it. But also just the new structure. The thing that surprised me is just how easy it is to get around and find things uh, which, um, you know, with organizations being around for a while, these websites get busier and busier. So yeah. uh, uh, 10 points to Gryffindor on the, the content team. We put that together. Um, well, thank you. Now, you did actually touch on something that I want to just briefly cycle back to. I think for those of us who have done business with Commvault for a long time and have known the brand, it is easy to think about it as the backup company, um, the company that backs up our data and protects it. But I do love your CEO's new sort of, uh, I guess, you know, uh, remit to the organization of, of uh, reawakening people's awareness of the brand and understanding you know, more about what your total portfolio of offering was as as it were, that I'm going to quote you there on, because I imagine that, that, you know, these days a lot of your work is the front loading of meeting with people, consultation, consulting, professional services, just helping people understand what data they've got, what values in that data, how to manage that data, all the way through to the traditional bits of protecting that data. Um, Has that been a sort of a pivot that's come about uh, recently? I I imagine it's been a long-term thing, but has there been a a Cambrian explosion of demand for the expertise you've got inside the organization along that whole, you know, what is it that you can do for us beyond backing our data up? I think so. I think as as, – as Sanjay's come into this, he really has seen the 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 goodness of Commvault in terms of what we can do with our customers and the value that we can bring. Uh, it's certainly, you know, we don't shy away from being uh, what we consider to be, of course, the, the greatest uh, backup and recovery solution and technology in the market today. Um, that's a proud foundation for us to build upon and, uh, and one that we uh, we certainly don't want to shy away from. We simply look at this, though, and say when you're talking to customers and when you're looking at the evolution of how applications are being developed um, in the multi-cloud world and the way that they need to evolve as overall organizations, we recognize that we need to continue to evolve and that um, the the phrase and, the, and the, another piece that we uh, just announced and not to be the marketing guy, but we just announced a new tagline, which is around uh, be ready, uh, and it's about data readiness. And the the view, vision that we have for the organization as you move from uh, Commvault being a uh, a backup and recovery software provider to more of a data software provider. Um, when I've spoken with people, I say, look it's purposeful that data software doesn't mean anything directly the same way that a company like Oracle or SAP says their business software, it doesn't mean anything specifically until you get into the next click. And as a data software provider, 
what Commvault's doing is saying then, well, what does it mean in terms of what's the foundation you need to set so that you're ready uh, with your data? And then we look at it through those four lenses of can you protect it? Are you managing it against your policies and regulations? Are you using it to get business value out of it? And are you controlling where it resides? And those are the four aspects that we're building the future of the company around. There's a huge shift uh, towards software-defined everything, you know, software-defined infrastructure, SDI as we hear it, and software-defined networking, software-defined storage. And, and so, you know, the Headfig story is such a great win for all of you around the space because, you know, I think we've all been in the software-defined X for, for so long we've forgotten about it. But, you know, whether it's uh, hypervisors or virtual machines or now cloud and then all the relevant bits under it, it's software. I mean, it may sit on hardware, router switches, servers and disks, but at the end of the day, it's defined by software. So this yeah. to me is, is kind of like it's, it's, it's gotten you ahead of the, the next big wave where, you know, the likes of 5G is going to become a, a massive uh, disruptor as it already is, but as it's deployed and we now see, you know, Internet of Things becoming a big thing and, and the whole edge, quote unquote, uh, shift to edge computing, edge networking, et cetera, and data at the edge. So this to me seems like you've future-proofed so many parts of the business for Commvault, but also for your clients and partners, integrators and VARs and so forth, that they are well ahead of the curve now and they can get away from panicking about uh, what they're going to do about data in that space to now just getting on with putting the solution in place. So I think it's, I think it's an exciting time for us and I think it's certainly uh, uh, resolved an issue that we've all been losing sleep about, which is, okay, well, now that everything's software-defined and software-defined storage is part of my life, what do I do with that? Um, and I can't wait to see some of the announcements that are coming out uh, later in the year in Commvault Go, which I'd love to pivot to now. It's, I think, the fourth year of Commvault Go uh, this year in yeah. Denver, yeah. is it? And uh, so that's pretty exciting. Um, firstly, maybe just a bit of background on the Commvault Go event itself, and then we'll dive into what's sort of coming up this year. But give us a little insight to the event. Uh, I mean, four years of anything big is exciting, and it's, it's sort of effectively doubled year on year from what I can tell. Give us a little insight into the event itself and what it covers. What's its remit? So uh, the big remit for this, it's a, it's a bit of a unique event, I think, in the space. It's definitely one that we try to bring together and keep a bit of an intimate feel to it uh, by making sure that there's access to a lot of experts around both within the Commvault uh, universe as well as a lot of our partner community and a set of influencers, including uh, such as yourself, in terms of being able to really bring this community together. Uh, we're we're incredibly proud that there's there's well over uh, 100, I'm, I'm misstating, it's probably 100, 150 breakout sessions that occur uh, over a two-day period. And about 70% of those are either led by a partner or include a partner or a customer or include a customer or a, um, a third-party uh, sort of uh, industry expert. So this isn't just Commvault talking about Commvault. It really is bringing together a set of um, industry experts and customers and prospects and partners and everyone to talk about uh, this, uh, the challenges that they're facing and how they can look to manage their overall data environment. So that's the, the, at the heart of this, it's really bringing together this community. And then what we do is provide enough opportunities for people to engage in different ways. There's hands-on labs. There's, of course, the typical keynote sessions in the morning. There's a great amount of demos and meet the expert sessions. You know, the, a, great, a great thing that happened the first year is we brought nine developers with us the first year in order to be available to do breakout uh, sort of whiteboards with customers that may want to talk to a developer. And it was so popular that this year we're going to have 40 developers with us 
in order to be able to do constant, you know, 30 minute to one hour whiteboard sessions uh, for two days solid. So it's a it's an amazing energy and amount of people that we bring together that's all designed uh, around trying to bring this community together to say, how can we manage data together uh, to ensure it's protected, to get value from it, make sure we're driving the most efficiency possible efficiency uh, that we can that we can really do. The thing that it reminds me about is that uh, I, I often bring this line up when I'm uh, trying to convey strategy and planning for a lot of people. And that is at the end of the day, we've got to remember that people do business with people, not so much just companies. And so I think the big thing about this event for me is it's about conversations, about starting those conversations if they haven't already been started in organizations from the boardroom down through to just continuing the conversation they might have already started with you in various forms in social media or blogs or podcasts or videos or or, chatbots even. Um, Because I know there's an exciting new chatbot in the bottom right-hand corner that I had a good chin wag with uh, and I tested the other day (laughs) on your website. Uh, it wasn't it's lost. It's fun, on, isn't it? Uh, it is. I, I, I love testing these things, but this thing was deviously clever. Uh, so, yeah, another 10 <laughs> points to Gryffindor for that one. It wasn't lost on me that the uh, the theme, uh, I think your Be Ready tagline, uh, as well and truly permeated the website. Uh, when you land on the uh, Commvault, uh, uh, what is it, com slash go uh, event website, uh, the first thing that struck me was uh, there's frozen cold mountains and somebody standing there with a backpack looking out to the horizon. I thought, that's probably you. Um, <laughs> but the, old, the whole theme of Be Ready has permeated the website, as you said, that the, the, the sub-theme was you know, more than ready. And I think that, for me, is going to be the thing that I will take away from it. That is, I'll go there, learn everything I can about what's happening in the world currently and, and what Commvault's got to offer and, and all the organizations that are talking about the problems that they're trying to solve. And then the key takeaways is sort of being, you know, that tagline of being ready for some of those bigger changes. Um, I'm looking forward to some of those breakout sessions as well, because we don't often get access one-on-one, as it were, or so much one-to-many or few of those developers who are literally coding or or solving problems because uh, they're either uh, busy or just protected. Um, And you've got some exciting speakers as well. Uh, I mean, there's some some fairly obvious ones around uh, uh, the CEO of uh, Hedvig and so forth, but uh, you've got some pretty amazing uh, speakers coming up. Um, how on earth do you herd the cats to align all of those speakers? I, I can't imagine. Somebody must have a, a full-time challenge of running around the planet chasing some exciting people to get them to jump on stage and speak for you. It, it Very much so. I, I was meeting with uh, Ali Hintelman earlier today on my team who uh, who's herding all those cats and working with a, a number of folks in terms of our main stage. And, uh, and then there's folks that are also – um, on the team that are driving forward in terms of the the many speakers that we have uh, within the show floor and the mini sessions that we have, the larger breakout sessions we have, it's um, it's quite a it's quite a feat to bring it all together. And uh, I'm just I'm incredibly lucky to be working with people who are just world class in their in their uh, field. The we um, I come from the SAP background and and know a lot of the people who I think Sapphire is one of the finest events on a large scale that's uh, that's put forward out there in the market and uh, we were able to bring a lot of that kind of goodness in a in a much smaller scale not quite the uh, the uh, whatever the heck that is now twenty five thirty thousand people maybe that go to Sapphire now um, but uh, it's frightening bring, uh, <laughs> it is frightening um, the uh, but but we bring a lot of goodness together. Uh, with some great people. 
And you've got some amazing names that are your. Uh, I think I think you refer to them as alliance partners, uh, the likes of uh, HPE and NetApp and Cisco, and, and arrange them through to you know, smaller organisations who are driving innovation across the board. There, what can you tell us about what some of those uh, organisations bring to the party? As far as you know, obviously beyond their brand and some of the things they're doing, but uh, is there anything you can share around some of the alliance partners and what they're potentially going to be bringing to the, the show uh, as far as 2019 events concerned? So. I mean, the alliance partners are so key to your your spot on. They're so key to an event like this, and um, we're so we're we're just lucky to be in a group of uh, where there's great partners. And you mentioned so many of them: HPE, uh, the work we're doing with NetApp, with Cisco, uh, bringing in others. Uh, AWS is our cloud sponsor for the event. Microsoft's one of our diamond sponsors, and that goes all the way through into a lot of folks that. At various levels uh, of sponsorship, we bring a lot of service providers in uh, for the show. Uh, I think, I think this year it's uh, it's around 40 partners or or something that that we're at. It grows each year by a little bit more, uh, and the partners end up being. A big part, not just of they help us drive the uh, attendance in terms of who's coming to the show, uh, but they're as I noted before, they're driving a tremendous amount of the content, and uh, and a lot of the the messaging that we're trying to put forward. You know, Commvault's a company that 90% of our revenue is is written on partner paper, so we're we're working with partners on a regular basis. Uh, so an event like this really isn't a Commvault event; it's an ecosystem event. Uh, so bringing these great partners together, having them be able to tell their story as we're telling our story is critical to the success of it. Nobody's working, you know, with, with just one partner in many cases, they're bringing a lot of these great names together within their environment. Uh, when we talk hybrid cloud, uh, we all know what that means in terms of multiple vendors that we're working with when we talk multi-cloud. Um, so being, being able to bring all of these different folks together and deal with that, uh, reality in terms of their environment, being able to to manage all of their data needs across these environments is a big part of what we try to accomplish there. That's no, amazing. And I think the message these days that I, I, I love hearing from the likes of yourself and certainly from Commvault uh, is that the successful organizations worked out back in the 80s and the 90s that, that working in isolation wasn't going to get anyone anywhere and that uh, these days we sort of we don't necessarily compete. We we co-compete. We co-opt, and we build something bigger than all of us. And it reminds me of a one-liner I heard at a wedding once, where someone asked the uh, groom, "Why'd you bother getting married?" And said, "Well, I wanted to be one slice of the wedding cake. I didn't want to be sitting in a room on my own, eating the whole muffin and being lonely," um, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. Um, you've got some amazing uh, champions coming as well, which I thought I'd just highlight. You've got everything from uh, a system administrator from Herbalife uh, through to I think it's an engineer in motorbike racing and uh, a combination between insurance and, and healthcare. So a whole range of interesting characters coming there, which I can't wait to hear about. If there was a, a couple of key things that you wanted people to sort of focus on with regard to the event, other than the obvious things around data protection and governance and protection backups, um, are there any key highlights that you think uh, that we should be sharing with people around um, this particular year? Because, I mean, I know there are a lot of really big shifting uh, foundational tectonic level challenges we're dealing with now. And, and, you know, digital disruption is one of the biggest that I'm seeing around the place where organizations are saying that it's not their competitors that are disrupting them anymore, it's their customers. And they're in the midst of digital transformations in many, in many ways. Are, are there any particular sub-themes that you think we should be focusing on with regard to the event, other than the fact it's going to be exciting and amazing, that, you know, if we were going to go to this thing and, and just have a couple of key takeaways, I know it's probably early, but are there any things that sort of come to mind that you've been talking to some of your alliance partners and certainly some of your clients and, and, and so forth that's coming out now where you're realizing, hmm, this is something that we 
either didn't anticipate or have anticipated and ready for that's slightly unique compared to the last couple of years? I think that, you know, some of the things that we would talk about, uh, they may not seem like they're terribly new, but they're still new in a lot of organizations. When I talk to companies and uh, that whether they're customers or their prospects and they're talking about their journey, um, we we have a way that we look at the world here, which everyone's moving from something to something and it's almost happens all the time. Um, so as you're moving from something to something, what what most companies are moving to today uh, is the multi-cloud world. Uh, and I think even that phrase multi-cloud means so many different things to so many people, uh, whether you're coming at that from the application standpoint or the storage standpoint uh, or anywhere in between. It's a the, the infrastructure environment where data resides uh, and what that means to the people who are developing the applications that rely on that infrastructure and the amount of data that has to be stored across the overall system. Uh, Everything, the, the seismic shift that's happening within uh, the world today of, uh, of data management is just tremendous. Uh, so what I would tell you that you can get at Commvault Go that's really different than, than most every show you can get to um, is we try to give a heavy dose of real. Uh, it's, this is not a show where people come and feel like they're being overly, I, no offense to marketing as the, uh, as the chief marketing officer, um, but marketing itself has really transitioned in the last few years in a big way. Uh, and what this show is a perfect example of is it's about honesty and access and being able to address some, some of the real situations that are out there uh, with our customers in a really open way. So when we talk about uh, Commvault Go and having access to so many customers and so many um, partners and people who are really using the product on a day-to-day -day basis, it's in a lot of ways a physical environment of what you get when you're online and, and you're uh, checking things out, except you're able to be with people uh, and look them in the eyes and really understand what their experience is. Um, it, when you're a marketing person, sometimes you're tasked with trying to figure out how to market something that you have to figure out your way around the different uh, sort of gives and takes of, of the positives and negatives. You know, I'm very fortunate to be here at Commvault. We've got a lot of goodness uh, to be able to talk about. And uh, what this show is, is just a chance to, to let it all out there and, and, uh, and have people talk about it, talk about the real, real value that we can bring. I love it. That's, that's the penultimate close, isn't it? It reminds me of a tagline that I, I try to convey with people, and that is that it's 2019, it's time to stop selling and start telling because uh, we've been, yeah. we're being yeah. pummeled with so much marketing information and, and, and whatnot that uh, uh, often it's forgotten that we don't really buy unless we've got a pain point. So we just want to be prepared and educated and made aware of what's available such that the time comes yeah. we are ready to buy. Um, well, I can't wait to get to the event. And thank you again for having the opportunity to be part of the crew that come there. And I'm looking forward to capturing that story. And hopefully we'll get you on camera and, and continue this conversation. I, um, I would love to do one last thing with you if we can, because I know we're coming up to the hour. I often ask my guests if I can hand them a virtual crystal ball and get you to gaze into it for a moment. Um, as a final question, if you were to gaze into a, a, a virtual crystal ball, and look over the horizon the next 12 to 18 months because I think this, the rate of change and the pace of change is so great and exhausting and challenging currently, uh, as we were talking about earlier off air, that uh, I often describe it as people are not just uh, in a running race and sprinting to keep up, but they're running in multiple races at, at, all at the same time in multiple lanes. If you were to gaze into a virtual crystal ball for me, um, Chris, what, what would be coming up in the next 12 to 18 months? What are some of the things that people should be talking about now? What are some of the challenges they may potentially be facing 
that you think should be on, you know, essentially standard agenda items on their boardroom uh, agendas to, to have a conversation through their organization all the way down to the, the water cooler? So I've got a great sort of marketing point of view on that, but I won't, I won't go there. I'll, I'll give you instead a uh, one that is near and dear to our heart. And, and it's in, and as I've looked at this, look, when I came to Commonwealth five years ago from SAP, I, I didn't understand the data management business at all. Uh, and I've, it's been a baptism of fire of, of learning so many of the things about this. And what I would, what I would tell uh, anyone as they're looking forward into the future is the, like a lot of times in, in our history in the tech space, most companies that we talk to, in many cases, they've built an unsustainable model. Uh, and because it's unsustainable because what they've realized is what they need to be able to do is they need to – it sounds silly, but they have five things. They need to understand what they have. And knowing what they have, uh, it's, they've lost control a bit because of the volume of data, who created it, how long should they keep it, all of those things are, are tough. They need to be able to move the data securely and freely, and they realize they can't really do that. And the different encryption needs, they have all these different needs. They need to be able to manage the data, as we talked about, uh, with regard to policies and things. They need to be able to uh, recover that data, and not just recover it, because everybody can say they can recover it, but can you recover it on time? And there's... Uh, that, that's the dirty little secret often between the board of directors or the CEO and the folks responsible for the data is can they recover it in the timely manner they need to. Uh, and then this last piece is are they able to use it and they able to get value from it. it they, they've set themselves up in many cases for in an environment that this the amount of applications – the different uh, infrastructures they're trying to deal with, the amount of data that has to be sustained in it, and the, just managing all of the applications, all the different user interfaces, everything as you look at it, if you map it out, anyone who I've sort of taken them through this, it's not sustainable. So I would say the biggest trend we're starting to see when we talk to customers and the biggest trend that everyone needs to sort of use their crystal ball in, in the next 18 to 36 months, uh, get themselves on the right path to, is this whole concept of how are you managing this new strategic asset called data? If you think about this as if you were a, any, if you had any other asset, a physical asset or your financial assets, and they were managed in the same, in many cases, chaotic way that data is being managed today, it would never be acceptable for uh, for a basic enterprise. Uh, and that's what they need to start to get their arms around so that they can be compliant so they can ensure that they can recover when they need to and they're really using the data getting value from it it sounds basic um, and that's sort of the the non-sexy side of this is setting that foundation uh, before other companies do in their space and and race ahead of them wow that's the perfect summary. I think we could almost transcribe that, put in a brochure and hand it out. Well, I think for, for listeners who've got key challenges around backup recovery or cloud or virtualization, or as you alluded to there a moment ago, the challenges around disaster recovery, we hear some amazing stories about ransomware and, and, and people paying out a fortune because they want the keys to decrypt their data they couldn't necessarily recover. Uh, although I did see a story about a city fighting back the other day. They, they're probably a client of yours because they just restored overnight and they were back in business. Then everything yeah. around the whole challenge is scaling out and the speed and pace that's got to happen and the complexity and I guess then the underpinning challenge of security and compliance and then governance more broadly. So I'm going to invite listeners to take a moment, jump on the web, grab your favourite browser and visit commvault.com. 
have a look at the homepage, look at some of the solutions and, and offerings they've got there. Then also, I, I guess, you know, follow through with the, the amazing story around the acquisition of Hedvig and what they do. Uh, just an amazing company. And, and I think they're going to be such an amazing part of, of your future and, and certainly future proofing some of the clients and partners and, and those alliance partners, clients, challenges around all those challenges. of I think what was their line? Any workload, any infrastructure, any cloud. And right. uh, if folk are able to uh, make it, I would love them to uh, come along to the Commvault Go 2019 event and catch up with us, get a selfie. Um, but to uh, have a look at it, I think it's commvault.com slash go is the event page. Well, Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure to spend an hour with you and, and get to know you personally, learn about your amazing uh, journey down to the South Pole and your uh, exciting TED Talk. And I'm going to go and watch it again over a cup of coffee after this. And congratulations on the amazing fun acquisition of Hedvig. I think that's going to be fun to watch over the next 12 to 18 months. And, uh, and the insights into what's coming with Commvault Go event. It's going to be great fun to be there. And uh, I hope we have you on the show again soon to uh, continue the conversation. Great, Des. Thanks for having me. And I uh, look forward to seeing you in the next month.